unlike appreciating the letter U, you know, I am so glad that we are finally getting around to actually, like, celebrating this letter. Did you know that it didn't, like, it literally took the Academy of French Printers until 1762 to fully differentiate between uh, the lowercase U and the lowercase V. So, (laughs) I, I say, good for you. Wow, Hannah, what a funny and well-delivered joke. I'm, like, dying laughing over here. It's sarcasm. (laughs) (laughs) This is Pop Etymology. I am Russell Perkle. I am Hannah, and I'm also on the podcast. Indeed, and what do we do on this podcast, Hannah? On this podcast, we take and over-examine pop music songs uh, and examine how they affect the American lexicon. Mm, And what background and qualifications do we have to do this <laughs> absolutely none at all yes, you no, like no music <laughs> <laughs> you like music i myself uh do not like music it is not uh something that is enjoyable to me as a thing yeah, yeah. so i uh, have no idea why you asked me to do this podcast with you but i am flattered nonetheless oh jeez, hannah I- I've been meaning to tell you, but it's one of those things that gets really awkward. I was actually asking you sarcastically. <laughs> ah, damn it! It's always sarcastic. <laughs> what do you think is like the longest like extended sarcasm? Like someone like like marrying someone else as like a... I I was gonna say I guarantee you there are relationships that are based fully on sarcasm. Definitely. I was I was just watching the other guys that old Mark Wahlberg uh, Will Ferrell movie, and he said he'd like. <laughs> He learned um, ballet sarcastically to like make fun of like like uh, effeminate boys who are doing ballet or whatever. <laughs> yeah, which oh my goodness, if I could be talented sarcastically, that sure would be an easier life. It's quite the motivator, and you know they there's some weird science research that says that it like somehow stimulates creativity. You know. Um, so we are discussing sarcasm in uh, honor of Olivia Rodrigo's recent uh, single, Good For You, which is stylized in all lowercase letters. Mm-hmm. Um, what, first of all, Russ, what did you think about the song Good For You? You know, me personally, I'm kind of enjoying this uh, return of rock. I mean, I was really thinking that rock music just seems to be completely dead. You know, like most pop hits are hip hop influenced or if not that, then maybe some kind of dance electronica influence and really uh, rock music has completely disappeared. But uh, now it it seems to be coming back and, you know, it's cool. But at the same time, I think there's like essentially nothing new or interesting or exciting. Like this well seems to have been completely mined and we're basically listening to like an Avril Lavigne song or something, you know. Ah, or Paramore. Um, uh, uh, Good For You was written by Olivia Rodrigo, who is an 18-year-old wunderkind. Um, uh, and, uh, well, what we should his... mention, so it's written by her and also Dan, and he has one of these risky-to-pronounce last names. I'm going to say <laughs> it's Nigro. <laughs> So he also gets a writing credit there. So uh, we can say that 
Um, it's definitely not all her, you know. I, I don't know to what extent she she uh, um, captained that writing crew, mm-hmm. but uh, she at least had some kind of help from the producer, Dan Hager. And uh, for the third time on this album, Sour, we had to issue a uh, retrospective writing credit to Haley Williams and Josh Farrow of uh, Paramore Mm -hmm. from uh, from their song Misery Business in 2007. It's not a pattern of ripping off Paramore that that we have to make clear. There was Mm -hmm. I I remember Taylor Swift was one that she's been criticized of uh, sounding a bit close to. And I don't remember the other two. Do you? I do not. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't dig too far into it. Because uh, uh, the assignment was good for you, and mm-hmm. honestly, as uh, uh, with it was, there's a lot of music, Russ. There really is, and a lot of it sounds like a, a lot of other music. Yeah, that's so. the thing for me. It's like I don't know to what degree this criticism is really anything, because music mm-hmm. just generally sounds like other music, especially if you're making the same genre of music. It's like there's not that many things that people like to sing about or. More importantly, that people like to listen to other people sing about. So, and like you said, the the early aughts and the mid aughts rock genre, it's a cave that's been very, very, very thoroughly mined. For sure. Did you listen to this Paramore song, Misery Business? I did, and I remembered it, and I remembered uh, crying to it mm-hmm. uh, when I was in middle school because I was, was a very bad. emotional Pisces. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, oh, this song is so horrible. I've never <laughs> had. Uh, why is this person so toxic? Uh? <laughs> but did you hear? Were you Cookie Monster in high school? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still Cookie Monster now. <laughs> did you hear a similarity? Um, I, honestly, no. It, they sounded like uh uh cousins yeah yeah sure and they sounded, they sounded like, like two yeah. songs in the same genre right yeah and i even listened to like a youtube video that had the two songs mashed up yeah, and it just yeah. sounded like a new mashup of two songs yeah it but, really you know, we mash up songs all the time like you can find a mashup of anything it really doesn't mean that the songs are really that similar mm-hmm. like i was listening to yesterday uh, that September song by I'm gonna mess this up, but I'm gonna guess maybe it was Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, that mashed up with um, uh, Numb by Linkin Park. You know, it's Ooh. like songs that don't sound the same at all do oftentimes have the same key and similar mm. chord progressions and uh, similar tempo, rhythm, etc. So to me, that that mashup isn't really mm-hmm. doesn't really seem to prove anything. You know? It's not very convincing evidence now. And, I mean, even if it had, 2007 was so, so, so long ago. Olivia Rodrigo was four years old. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's true. You think, like, her mother <laughs> played that song in the womb and she has some kind of, like, <laughs> memory of it. Uh, maybe. I, I, unless it's, like, one of those things. You know how teenagers are always, like, oh, I wish I was born in 1950. I would have been a total Beatles head. Mm. Like, I was born in the wrong generation. Yeah. But it's very, very scary to think that there are Gen Zs that are like, oh, <laughs> I wish I was born a millennial. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, careful what you wish for, Gen Z. <laughs> you don't know what you say. Um, yeah, and 
there's a really important concept to me mm -hmm. called uh, the anxiety of influence, uh, Harold Bloom. It's, it's like a literary criticism thing, but mm -hmm. to me it kind of applies to all art all the time. It's this idea that like, so you're coming up as an artist, you know, and the old masters have gotten fame and are seen to be masters and they make really good art and you can't exactly compete with them, you know, the, the space mm -hmm. is full, everyone's already decided they're the best at what they do. So uh, you do the opposite, you know. But what that ends up being a lot of times is you you don't exactly do something new most of the time. You just do something like one leap back from what everyone else has been doing. You know? Oh, like how, you know, people have been perfecting photorealism since the Renaissance era. So now people just paint toilet seats gold? Well, I don't know if they do that now. I think even that's probably like a good like four generations back at this point <laughs> and, unless you mean like uh the the artist that donald trump uh is the patron of or something you know? <laughs> <laughs> i don't like his politics but man i sure do like his taste in art <laughs> <laughs> oh boy <laughs> so you know all that aside all that kind of like uh lack of real praise for the song i i will say you know separate of kind of a uh, separate of a, a kind of haughty uh, looking at the song super critically, you know, I, I do like a few things that it seems to be kind of a return to or, or um, juxtaposed to other songs that mm -hmm. are common now. Like this song really is kind of about the, an experience that's very relatable to the listener. You know? Yes. And, it's a funny thing to me how often rock songs especially, it'll be like guys that are in their 30s and on, you know, singing songs about high school, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia Rodrigo, I'm surprised to find, actually is about that age. I mean, she's 18 now, so maybe she's done with high school by now. I don't know. Uh, depends on how good her grades were, I suppose. <laughs> Olivia Rodrigo, have you been studying? <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Um but, you know, if you contrast that to this, uh, this, um, this uh, forbidden song, uh, blacklisted song in the pop etymology uh, <laughs> over uh, uh, Jail, you know, Jail is very much, Kanye West, is very much mm -hmm. a song by a celebrity about like an insular celebrity experience that the rest of us probably will never have, you know. Yeah. And Taylor Swift, like in her Rumors album, I think, maybe that's a song, uh, excuse me, but uh, you, you kind of see a similar thing where mm -hmm. it's all about like Twitter gossip and like uh, paparazzi and this kind of like reputation, uh, bad reputation having, etc. that really for them, like, I don't think I have any reputation of any kind, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so uh, it's just... There's uh, there are songs that describe the uh, kind of universal experience or even very, very specific like teen listener, young listener experience. And then there are other songs where it's just kind of like a very rich, out of touch person uh, talking about something that the rest of us, if anything, maybe it's a bit aspirational, like people like mm -hmm. to listen to this stuff aspirationally. And I think hip hop tends to be more on the aspirational side, you know. Yeah, and exaggerated for sure. And, and the other thing I would say is that, you know, this is a much more singable song. Like, um, 
we we had a lot of songs on the on here that are really primarily dance songs. You know, Waffle mm-hmm. dance song, uh, Levitating clearly a dance song. Some of them give you literal instructions on what you're supposed to be doing in the <laughs> dance. You know, which is extremely helpful. I do love that genre of music. Yeah, me too. Me too. But you know, it, it's 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 a real matter of trust because like. They need to respect you and not ask you to do things you're not comfortable with in, in the dance song. <laughs> Charlie Brown. How am I supposed to know what that means, mister? <laughs> I mean, it's definitely one of those dances from the uh, Peanuts Christmas uh, oh, is it? thing. I would assume, yeah. One of those things they do whenever they're all dancing, right? Uh, like, at every wedding I've ever been to, everybody plays the cha-cha slide, and I'm the only one, as when he says Charlie Brown, like, I've looked around. I've specifically looked around, like, what is everybody doing and how do I mimic it? And what are they doing? I have no idea. All of them seem to be doing different things. <laughs> well, I don't think white people know what it means to Charlie Brown. I think for me, if that song came up, I, I'm a real like Charlie Brown type myself. I mean, I've got the like, <laughs> like weird, vaguely no hair look and kind of a s- sort of roundish white guy with a I kind of like sad face. I feel like you've had face. a lot like, of footballs ripped from under your feet. Exactly, resting sad face, and that's what I would think. Is like if they tell you to do the Charlie Brown, you better run and miss kicking an imaginary football <laughs> in that part of the song. You know? Oh, man, if part of the dance is breaking your tailbone, I don't want to play. So this song, I would say it's singable just because, you know, it's not like a fast, uh, difficult to do rap song, you know. So, mm. so it's a, definitely it's a song And it's danceable that... in that, like, in, like a lot of early aughts sort of rock was danceable. All you have to do is stand there and jump. And that's like done. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. You're very, mm-hmm. very right. I mean, the, the kind of lowered uh, tempo. I don't really know if the tempo is necessarily lower, but certainly the, the lyrics are delivered at a much lower rate. And I would say probably the, again, here my tone deafness kind of limits my uh, <laughs> my abilities as a music critic, but I don't feel as if there's a lot of like uh, gymnastics up and down the scale being done either. I'd be pretty comfortable trying to do this song at karaoke or something. Yeah. Oh, I would love to see you do this at karaoke. Maybe I will. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll make a Patreon where we just do karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? Um, Any other uh, particular thoughts about the song? Um, the song, honestly, it did make me feel kind of vindicated because uh, that's the sort of genre of music uh, that sort of alt-rock um you know, 2007 feeling music, that's like the the genre in the decade of music that really had the best chance of getting me to like music. Because it's, I mean, I was, I was going through puberty when, at the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of those emotional songs you feel, you feel really deeply. So it was nostalgic in that. And I think just because of the nostalgia, I enjoyed it a little bit more. But objectively, um, I thought it was very clever. A lot of sarcasm. I thought that it was it conveyed um, this contempt for the ex-boyfriend very effectively. Um, and yeah, I feel like if if anybody wanted me to describe sarcasm using a song, I would I would probably pick this. 
I can't think of any more sarcastic songs, certainly. Can, can we talk about prosody? Because mm-hmm. when we just did a song a few songs ago, Levitating by Dua Lipa, uh, we noticed how like the, the faster you sing, the, the less prosody you can have in your song, you know, because mm-hmm. um, the faster your di- the faster, faster you're speaking, the faster you're singing, the faster you're delivering the words, the less like linguistic complexity each piece of the language has. And so um, kind of the intonation goes away a bit, the kind of inflection, the nuance at all uh, gets reduced to enable this like fast singing. So I, I think it's an interesting point that you say the music that you listened to in the aughts was like very emotional music. Cause I think it's true. And I think it's, it's something that can really, that, um, this kind of emo punk pop music is especially mm-hmm. tailored to deliver, you know? Absolutely. Uh, and I think, uh, even though it was, um, altogether a very accessible song. There were uh, instances of intonation in it um, that conveyed this sort of emotion. Specifically, I'm talking about like the, uh, the, uh, uh, when she's talking about crying on her bathroom, in her bathroom. Um, and, you know, you hear, hear good for you. And, and it just conveys the, emotion so succinctly and aptly uh, that just technical skill could not. Yeah. So yeah. as far as prosody goes, prosody is the intonation and the rhythm of speech. You find it, it, it varies from not just language to language, but dialect to dialect uh, and accent to accent even. So uh, let's kind of test like the prosodies of sarcasm. So uh, I have a couple of phrases, uh, and sarcasm is basically uh, saying something insincere and uh, more cutting. So uh, I'll give you a phrase, go ahead and say it sincerely, and then say it sarcastically, see if you can detect a difference in uh, the phrase. So uh, as sincerely as you can, say, excuse me, princess. Excuse me, princess. All right. Now, how would you say, excuse me, princess, sarcastically? Mm, not really my strong suit. Did you ever see that episode of uh, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends? Where uh, <laughs> yes. Where was trying to learn sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think his... Uh, I think his strategy was he just would modulate his voice up and down uh, mm-hmm, yeah. while insulting people. <laughs> so there's the there's this meme uh uh based on uh the Legend of Zelda cartoon. Mm. Uh basically uh the cartoon is probably the most sarcastic way that you could say it. Excuse me, princess. Sure, yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. I was, I was trying to say something. Excuse me, princess. Right, you gotta like <laughs> nasal up that like princess in there too, you know. Yeah, really convey that contempt. Yeah, it really so, sounds like you're like like scrunching up your nose whenever you say it, right? And put as like many of like uh, what do you call it? Um, <laughs> like syllables. Oh, sure. <laughs> like make it a multi-syllable word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Famous, Turn yeah. excuse me into like eighteen syllables. Yeah, yeah. And so, of course, you know it's. 
I, I would say part of it is kind of like you just have to make it different somehow, right? It's like mm -hmm. uh, if it sounds like the normal thing you would say, then clearly it's there's no extra meaning intended. But sarcasm, it's almost like like uh, verbal italics or something. You mm. know? So let's test that. Uh, as sincerely as you can, say, nice going, buddy. Nice going, buddy. All right. Now say it sarcastically. Nice going, buddy. <laughs> I find there's more of like a punchiness to it too. Like you're really kind of like, like pushing out. Yeah, yeah, some yeah. Kind of air, you know? And it has a more musical lilt to it, doesn't it? For sure. Yeah, it's almost like you're singing a taunt or something, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. As sincerely as you can, say you're a genius. You're a genius. I know. Thank you. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> All right, now say it as, as sarcastically as you can. You're a genius. No, it's hard. I don't know. You try. <laughs> You're a genius. Ah, uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's got that upward mm -hmm. intonation at the end, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. Question it, it's it, definitely lilty, um, and sometimes a lot, of, a lot of times if you really want to exaggerate... You can go as, like, ridiculously as you can. Uh, then uh, you just sound like you're, like, a, like a British fop or something. You know? Well, yeah, that's why the Brits are so good at sarcasm, and we Americans are apparently not good at all at it. Well, la-dee-da. <laughs> <laughs> I assume our listeners just, like, marathon the whole binge listen the whole uh, podcast in one sitting, right? Oh, so they'll my get goodness. these jokes, right? To be okay, so you know how sometimes you listen to a uh, podcast to go to sleep? Mm -hmm. I found out that it is so much easier to fall asleep to podcasts when you're actually listening to yourself. Oh, really? So you've been <laughs> listening to your own podcast? Is that narcissistic? That's really messed up. I, I think you might be like breaking your brain somehow. You're going to like dissociate from your own self you know <laughs> or what's like the opposite weird... of dissociation where you find yourself more <laughs> you're gonna associate yeah you're gonna become even closer <laughs> but it's like that I'm thing there's develop like this... a new personality i forget exactly how it works but it's this kind of science uh trick thing where it's like you you put on something where you uh see yourself from a third person view and Ooh. like it's like supposed to psychologically like dissociate you. You know, you start to feel as if it's not you. You know, or you start to feel as if you're not in your own body. One of the two. Have you had any? Have you found this a good way to like astral project? Have you gone to any other uh, planes <laughs> of existence? I am a Pisces. I live on other planes of existence. Oh, okay. So for you, it wouldn't have any extra effect. No, I probably wouldn't notice a difference. Mm -hmm. But. So it's interesting how there's a seems to be lots of different strategies and techniques employed to indicate sarcasm mm -hmm. in English, at least. You know, yeah. like we were saying, there's kind of this making the syllables more kind of a going up and down, like a like a um, warbling almost, but not quite <laughs> warbling in slow motion, perhaps. Like uh, one thing I saw said, like you should make the stressed syllable deeper. Uh, another thing I saw said you should make it sound more nasal. I mean, there, there's, it seems to be on different contexts. It's like we've come up with lots of different solutions to how to indicate to someone we're being sarcastic, you know? 
And it ultimately just boils down to how do you be mean without taking responsibility for being mean? <laughs> yeah, so. exactly right. Like this uh, kind of Schrodinger's douchebag uh, <laughs> technique, you know. So uh, I know that kids usually start to register in sincerity at uh, around the age of six. Before that, uh, it's very difficult for uh, kids to register that you don't actually super love everything that they're into all the time. So my advice to new parents uh, is lie. Just do it. Lie. They don't understand. So you're saying, um, and, like, lie sarcastically, so they just don't... Yeah! Oh, I love that macaroni painting. It's so original. Oh, I'm sure parents do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like a yeah. it, it, So kids usually start to register in sincerity at six, which means prior to that, they aren't going to register anything you say is insincere. So you can lie as much as you want to them. And they start to really identify sarcasm around the age of ten. Um, and uh, they start to use, when they're identifying sarcasm, uh, words like uh, that person's being mean instead of that person's being ironic or that person's being facetious just because 10-year-olds aren't that smart. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And there's an issue also where I think when you're a kid, you can't be uh, in on a joke so much. You know, it's like you mm. can't be the target of a innocuous, uh, not mean-spirited joke. You know, if anyone mm-hmm. makes a joke about you, then it hurts, you know. And, yeah. And as you grow older, I think you can be the butt of a joke as long as it's, like, not too mean. You know, it's like there's a boundary, there's a line, but there's lots of situations in which you can make fun of a person and it's a building experience. It's a it's a intimacy-creating uh, bonding experience. It, it, I don't think it's always bad, you know. I think that's also mm-hmm. something that kind of seems to develop maybe around the same time this feeling of knowing, recognizing sarcasm develops. And I think it very much uh, it, it has to do with the culture that you are in. Um, like, uh, there's something about, uh, you know, now that I think about it, there's something very sort of wholesome about uh, American culture in general, where it's just Americans tend to be very sincere and open and uh, uh, you know genuine people. Uh, so sarcasm and developing a taste for sarcasm and sarcastic comments isn't necessarily as um, intimacy building a social experience as it would be in say the UK. I think you could be right about that, and I think in general, American culture is really a conflict-averse culture, a confrontation-averse mm-hmm. culture. And, of course, I think UK, maybe it is as well sometimes, and I think maybe they use sarcasm to avoid conflict. But I think in America, yeah, maybe there's some truth to it that we just avoid the sarcasm altogether. Yeah, we pretty much are either super polite or we skip straight to shooting up a target. Mm, yeah, on, on the other mm-hmm. hand, though, like... I think, of course, self-deprecation is one of the main uh, forms of humor in in mm-hmm. American uh, culture now. You know, if you look at like yeah. funny tweets, a lot of them are kind of like kind of sort of seeming to indicate that the speaker is stupid or something like that. Uh, another thing, I guess, is like American humor, and I don't know. I feel like maybe I'm making too much of a leap of connecting that only to America, but uh, there's still a lot of 
humor which you could say is sarcasm that is not mean because you're not directing it at the listener you know so mm -hmm. maybe you're making a sarcastic remark about a political figure public figure about yourself about uh, a fictional figure things like that i think we still see a lot of that in america yeah too. yeah it's um very well, well, I can't believe we've gotten this far into the podcast without addressing like the etymological origins of the word sarcasm, mm -hmm. uh, which of course is Greek. Uh, uh, sarkizin, uh, sarkizin um, is how uh, it is supposedly pronounced, uh, uh, building into so uh, sarkoros, I believe. Uh, and the original meaning of this is to tear, as in to tear flesh. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, meant to evoke the uh, imagery of uh, a rabid animal ripping into its prey's flesh. And uh, the reason for that is sarcasm bites. Uh, it's, it's meant to have this sort of edge to it, this sort of uh, mocking, uh, contemptuous uh, edge. So it's not necessarily, like, the nicest of uh, intimacy-building things, unless your relationship has a very uh, healthy component of teasing each other, uh, uh, which not every, in every relationship uh, it does have that capacity. And in fact, uh, I, as I was researching sarcasm, I did come across a study that uh, using contemptuous language with your partner is one of the f uh, four horsemen of marriage. Uh, so if uh, you're... You're saying like you, you may risk getting married? <laughs> no, no, the opposite. The four okay. horsemen of the apocalyptic marriage. Uh, Anything I can do to avoid divorce. marriage also sounds pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so but, if you really want to avoid getting married, you can be sarcastic. You should be super sarcastic to your partner. Oh, yeah. Great idea, Hannah. <laughs> Does that work? I, I, I'm 100% I certainly like am no closer to marrying you. Foster. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know if I'm effectively making sarcasm. <laughs> but, you know, I, I would counter that. And, yeah, I think it's true. I think generally mm -hmm. any psychologist, any uh, relationship advisor, they would say, like, sarcasm is totally a poison, a toxic mm -hmm. thing. You know, it's passive aggression. It's It should not be in a healthy communication you know but I, I would also say that you know you need the relationship in order for sarcasm to exist you know it's like you have to have some trust there you have to know the person's real feelings about you the person's like value of you their real value of you uh and on a much simpler level you simply have to know what is their normal way of speaking right i mean there there's a lot of like there's a lot of understanding how they would normally say it that comes in in understanding sarcasm. I mean, like uh, a guy like Chandler from Friends, of course, he's mm -hmm. like he's got this really great sarcastic delivery where he's really amping it up. But that, that's, of course, an actor doing it. I, I think, honestly, a lot of us in real life, like just speaking off the cuff, like when we say something sarcastic, it's uh, you it takes some um take some higher understanding to really catch it and, and see it for what I it is, you know? will agree with that and I will uh raise you a story a true story sure. uh when I was in middle school I was on the wrestling team uh and we used to do 
you know, laps around the uh, school before practice every day. And there was always a group of girls sitting outside the gym when I would uh, do the laps. Uh, and every time I would do a lap, they would, you know, clap and cheer and go, like, go! Like, I was the only girl on the wrestling team. I assumed that they were being sincere. That girl found me on Facebook. <laughs> uh, like, three years ago, and specifically to apologize because she and her friends were being completely sarcastic the entire time. And I had no idea who they were or any, you know, respect for the context of gender norms. Had no idea that I was like the sarcastic, the butt of their sarcastic joke for three years. Yeah, yeah. And this is, I think this is probably one of the functions of sarcasm, right? Mm -hmm. Is to kind of separate the people who are in the know, who who are clever and get it from the people who don't, even if they're like imagined, you know? Mm -hmm. I always think about how there's kind of two, seems to be two kinds of stand-up comedians. They're actually kind of the same thing from the opposite perspectives. There's like the really dumb guy, like the buffoon that you laugh at because he's so stupid. You know, mm -hmm. he's saying things that are stupid. And then there's the really clever, like, like higher-than-thou guy who you laugh at the things that he says that other people think that are You're stupid. Jimmy Carr's. Yeah, Jimmy Carr is a great example. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, in my opinion, less good example is the guy from uh, Invention of Lying and so on whose name is... Oh, I Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais, yeah. So he's like, he's using this, oh, I'm so clever and intelligent and british to such great effect without actually having much substance there you know and i no. i would say like his jokes are essentially the same jokes that will ferrell is making they they're just one of them is the subject and one of them is the guy pointing at the subject you know <laughs> that's deep <laughs> and, and of course sarcasm you know it gives you this kind of uh jolt of dopamine perhaps because you get to feel like oh yeah i'm also in this like clever guy pointing at the stupid guy position you know you feel better than someone else you know which isn't to say that like sarcasm is necessarily like there's no function for it mm -hmm. uh it it does happen that um after engaging in this sarcastic exchange people are uh functionally more creative i'm not sure what sort of power up that that uh yeah and i also wonder like what is the practical applications for that like, are you <laughs> are there people in their business meeting just like really like ripping people apart passive aggressively before they do their brainstorming or something like, yeah nice tie jimmy <laughs> <laughs> thanks rick they go a lot they go really well with your wife's bra <laughs> what is he wearing his wife's bra? <laughs> uh, probably, if yeah, for luck. <laughs> that's some that's some next level sarcasm there too. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I'm sure glad you're here, James. You're gonna really bring some good ideas. Oh yeah, well thank you so much, Rick. Uh, I just figured that somebody ought to, since you've been running the meetings for the last ten years. <laughs> oh, you're. My wife's bra actually looks really good on you, man, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and then they all start making out, and that's how <laughs> You should write fan fiction. Oh, uh, yeah. Fan fiction of what? Just business culture? Like yes! Fan fiction of IBM? <laughs> Make it happen. Oh, my God. Just go to Forbes Top 500 and just write, like, 
fan fiction about that time Jeff Bezos met the CEO of, uh, like, that Target. Time, that time Jeff Bezos met Jean-Luc Picard. So I, I want to interject real quick there is a, a little bit more to the etymology of uh, sarcasm. One, one thing I want to mention is I, I don't know if it had a beginning where it simply meant to tear the flesh. I mean, it, even today, we don't really have a word that just means tear somebody's flesh, you know. It, rent comes pretty close. Yeah, I, I think rent must be it. So maybe it originally mm-hmm. had some meaning, something like rent. But for the most part, in Greek in Greek uh, culture, it also had a metaphoric meaning. You know, it essentially meant sarcasm, as we understand mm-hmm. it to be now. Um but that word, of course, that main root, sarco, just means flesh. So we have a few cousins to sarcasm, you know. As far as the word itself and forms and related words, just sarcasm and sarcastic, of course. But um, also the disease sarcoidosis, sarcoidosis, which means a, a kind of collection of inflammatory cells, usually in your lungs or lymph nodes. Can you imagine a doctor delivering that news sarcastically? Sarcastically, yeah. Oh, man, your lungs are so healthy. <laughs> I'm so jealous wait, of you. Wait, seriously? Because I can't breathe for shit. I'm pretty sure we're just writing word for word an episode of House right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another similar example is sarcoma, right? So sarcoma means a uh, tumor in the connective tissue also comes from this. Just this idea that it means something like flesh. Right? The connective tissues, of course, being the most sarcastic of the tissues. Yeah, my, mine certainly are most days, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I take Sarcataflexidor, uh, sar- uh, the new <laughs> uh, prescription drug. It really just like makes all your organs and body parts just so much more sincere, you know. <laughs> Sick of being a splenic motherfucker. Oh, sorry. That was that was too Shakespearean. <laughs> yeah, I certainly didn't get it. So. <laughs> I, think <that's, laughs> I think I'm the litmus test. <laughs> I'm the everyman in this podcast. <laughs> um, and then finally, one more word made from sarco, sarcophagus, uh, which of course would be the word for flesh plus phage, which of course is a word for eat. So, which is oh, pretty good. hilarious, right? So it's a it's a it's a coffin that just like kind of like a like a <laughs> mimic just kind of defeated a body. <laughs> oh gosh, that is oh I I love etymology. Which Egyptians? <laughs> it really makes me think Egyptians had like a much more uh, Sesame Street type mentality than we realize you know they had this idea that they were just like feeding the body to this big <laughs> box. <laughs> Speaking of Egyptians, I was extremely curious about the origins of sarcasm and how wow, old... what a segue, Hannah. It, I actually it's... meant that sincerely. I just felt since we're doing a sarcasm episode. <laughs> well, thanks for teeing me up, coach. No. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, the origins of sarcasm, uh, people think, of course, we've been sarcastic for as long as the verbal uh, components of sarcasm have been available to us. So, uh, older than written language is sarcasm, is what we're thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one of the um, more famous uh, examples of early language, early sarcasm, 
uh, comes from the 12th dynasty of the Egyptian, ancient Egyptian uh, kingdom. Uh, so about 1950 BCE. Uh, it's something called the Instructions of Duacheti, uh, otherwise known as the Satire of the Trades. Uh, it reads, and it was extremely popular to for scribes to write uh, this uh, word for word as like practice. Um, it it reads like a father giving advice to his son about uh, what to be when he grows up. Specifically, you should be a scribe because every other trade in ancient Egypt just sucks. So, <laughs> but already I'm so like uh, confused on what level of sarcasm it is. Is he saying that actually scribe sucks because he's saying it sarcastically, or so? Um, I I I will uh go through it a little bit I'm one really by glad one. I didn't grow up in ancient Egypt. I would have been completely hopeless. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. know what to be. So there is some debate about how closely this is sarcastic because it's uh, uh, a lot of these. Uh, okay, I'll let you, I will. Uh, uh, for example. Sure. All right. So give me just the description, and I'm going to try to say what it is. Okay. I will give you the uh, the description of Duhaji uh, talking to his son uh, Pepe, what he describes <laughs> I'm these not jobs any as. Advice from a father who names his son Pepe. Such a good name. (laughs) (laughs) According to Duhetti, uh, uh, who has fingers like a crocodile and smells worse than fish poop? I mean, I I would just guess it's probably a fisherman, right? He's like catching some fish. It's actually the coppersmith. (laughs) <laughs> the coppersmith uh, has fingers like a crocodile, uh, gnarled and old, and okay, uh, sm- goes home smelling worse than fish poop, who is covered with earth even though he's still alive and burrows in a field more than swine does. I'm going to assume it's a farmer. That is a potter. Also a coppersmith. Dang. <laughs> 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 they were all coppers. He really hates coppersmiths. <laughs> Okay, Potter makes a lot more sense. Yeah, cool. Oh, okay. This one, uh, this one is definitely a little bit sarcastic. Um, gnats and sand fleas bite him and then judge him on his taste. <laughs> well, gnats and sand fleas bite him. So I, I was thinking maybe he's like a professional hunter because he's out in it all the time. <laughs> he's actually a reed cutter. Oh, that and, was a job back then. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah, very important job. And last one, um, he is destitute, and so he goes to the desert in shame. He has to spend all of his money on his ride to uh, buy the donkey to get him there, and then he has to pay for information on the flint source, and then when he returns home, he finds out that uh, his banker has sold his uh, house away because he was gone for so long. And also his wife and children have left him and this journey has ruined him. Let's see, which, which profession is professional <laughs> poor person? Let me think about this. <laughs> he's, he's like a, uh, he's an Amazon uh, uh, package, like logistics uh, 
you know, mover, whatever they're so close. It sounds like one of those gig economies. He's actually an arrow maker. Arrow maker. Uh huh. Wow. Things sure have changed, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. This is a totally different work economy than I I that I'm familiar with. Then, like, if you were like a coppersmith or an arrow maker today, do you know how like awesome everyone you met would think you were? You know, right? It just sounds so like cool and epic, you know. Oh, it's weird how things like come around like that. Mm, it's true. You're, you mean you're like a literal potter, like you make pots, I know, and then right? you like bury drink, them in the ground. I drink coffee out of those things. And stuff, <laughs> you know? It's like essentially like I have to take my coffee grounds out of a pot, brew it into a pot, and then pour it into a cup, which is another like piece of pottery. It's like my whole life is you, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you do you do you. When is the last time you have appreciated your local potter? Basically never, because local pottery is way too expensive for me to ever purchase. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) So, can I talk to you a bit about this concept of face? Please. I don't know how much it relates to sarcasm, but let's find out. So, Mm -hmm. uh, face is kind of a linguistic or sociological concept it it came from a chinese concept into english in the 19th century um it's where you keep your eyes and mouth yeah yeah before that who knows what probably just keeping them in a pot right (laughs) (laughs) and uh so this as a linguistic concept uh it's this idea that you have to have some kind of a uh claim of your position in the let's say discussion or society or group whatever and it's divided into two sides so there's positive face and there's negative face of course this is what we're talking about when we say something like save face like do it to save face or he was trying to save face right so positive face uh this is this idea of like your dignity your feeling of uh self-worth uh feeling that other people like you things like that right so um things that could potentially attack positive face would be like criticism, right? Okay. And so in both of these, one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest things to do is make up some strategies so that you're not directly attacking someone's face, right? So rather than saying like, uh, hey, work faster, you could, you could say instead like, hey, do you think you could possibly uh, get that to me? Uh, by the end of the day, maybe we can move up the deadline a little bit, right? So you couch in all these extra words and hypotheticals and, mm-hmm. and things like that, right? Uh, negative face is our need for freedom and autonomy, right? So uh, not to want someone else to force us to do something that we wouldn't choose to do, right? And so when we're ordering something and we don't say, like, give me a hamburger, we say, could I please have a hamburger? Of course, this is an uh, um, example of nav- na- navigating the negative face, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, so because what, of course, what you do mean is give me the hamburger. Yeah, of course. And yet, you can't quite say it directly because you want to be polite, you know. Because mm-hmm. like you, you want to have some like uh, feeling that that's just hypothetical. Uh, you're not exactly asking them to do it. 
you're more inquiring about the possibility of it happening. And then they feel more as if they can slip into this position of, you know, um, facilitating the yeah. result for you, you know. If you would be so kind. Mm-hmm. I will be so kind. <laughs> I'm always kind. <laughs> I think I will. By God, I will be so kind. <laughs> you know what? I am kind enough. <laughs> I can give him a, a hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> this is Thank this you new, for appreciating me. This is this alternative to sarcasm where... Instead of saying something uh, insincere, you just say something that's not a joke in any way at all, but you say it with a with some kind of intonation, so it sounds like you're making a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but so so for sarcasm in this case, of course, you're not exactly avoiding the attack on the mm-hmm. face itself, but again, it, it you're not even giving yourself deniability, right? I mean, it's obvious to the listener. Uh, unless the sarcasm fails entirely, if, if you've successfully communicated the sarcasm, it's, it's obvious. <laughs> fails entirely. I'm just, I'm picturing like a, a like a in a Pokemon battle when an attack just completely fizzles out. <laughs> it was ineffective. Yeah, it was not very effective. <laughs> as they said. Yeah. Just hit a do a flail from then on. <laughs> So, Quick, what's the most sarcastic Pokemon? Mm, I, I think, uh, what's that one? Uh, coughing and wheezing. They just have a very sarcastic sounding voice, you know. I, I think oh. they've got like a real like um, Thelma and Velma from Simpsons thing where it's like they they understand that they're like wretched beings and so they're just really kind of <laughs> resentful of this cartoon universe that they've been drawn into and so... They, they kind of say everything in this like snarky, sarcastic way, you know. It's how they cope. This this idea of face it makes me think in some tangential way about uh, Daria, you know, another kind oh. of like like key like famous representative of sarcasm, it, it's a, like bringing it to the culture. You know, I think Gen X is probably maybe the most sarcastic culture. You know, this is the this is the um, generation that gave us like Psych. You know, really think about it. Um, In Daria, we see kind of this usage of sarcasm whenever you're in a, let's say, a conversation or a discussion, and there's kind of a response that you need to put there. You know, like uh, like if someone says like, hey, Daria, are you having fun? And she says like, yeah, I'm having a blast or or something like, well, now she's Squidward, (laughs) but you get the idea. But, (laughs) you know, like, it's this kind of situation where it would be weird if you said nothing. And it would yes. also be really weird if you just directly said that you were having a terrible time. Because, first of all, the other person doesn't really care. They're just making a, a nicety. They're making, like, small talk, you know. So I think sarcasm has this interesting usage of it's a way to... Um, kind of fill the beats of a conversation like if you you go outside and it's storming and you tell your neighbor nice weather huh and he says yeah amazing why are why is everyone squidward i mean in fairness when you have to create a like a a sarcastic voice just off the cuff it's gonna come out squidward yeah i i think you're right i guess he is kind of our new uh, uh, sarcasm avatar of our generation. Yeah. Or, or of 
I mean, how's your Daria impression, though? will be the, the next one. Is your Daria impression any better than your Squidward impression? Is yours, though. <laughs> the, I you just know, gave it! <laughs> yeah, I'm saying, like, I don't know if yours is, but to be fair, like... <laughs> It's been so long Ouch. since I saw Daria that I don't actually remember so much what she sounds like either. <laughs> All right, so do you got anything else? Um, yeah, uh, I wanted to discuss uh, how to indicate sarcasm in writing. Uh, of course, you would want to avoid any sort of uh, formal... Um, there's no real formal way to indicate sarcasm other than being really, really obviously sarcastic. Uh, so, a lot of times what happens is sarcasm just does not come across in text, uh, in emails, and texts, and uh, any sort of written communication whatsoever. So, you have to either be incredibly obvious with your uh, sarcasm, like uh, uh, beating a dead horse, saying the same thing over and over again, but in different ways. You know, repeating yourself. Uh, if you can say the same thing over and over again. Hannah, could you explain to, that to me in a few more different ways, please? <laughs> I don't quite get it yet. Um, but th- there's a couple of informal ways that I've actually come uh, 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 become kind of fond of. Um, so one way that you can indicate that you are being sarcastic is of course by texting along a meme of well my favorite is the chicken dance uh spongebob meme or uh the um what is her name uh khaleesi daenerys stormborn uh making that face which you know is an insincere face but uh you know in text, uh, you lack the facial muscles to do that, so you should send that along. Um, you can also elongate uh, your words, like instead of "great job," "great," G R E E E E E E A T. Um, a new player on the ground is uh, it came along I think around the same time as that SpongeBob meme. Where you alternate between cap and lowercase, cap, lowercase, cap, lowercase. Yeah. Only trouble is it's really hard to do. It's a very labor intensive. But... It is labor intensive, but for but the payoff is great because it makes you just immediately envision this uh really you know. Yeah, it it's actually really, really great. It's like it evokes the sound, like it you really kind of Somehow instinctively, you know what that would, what you think that would sound like. It's very, it seemed to be very well uh, adapted, very well in the zeitgeist. Like, I, I mm-hmm. think that everyone, when they see that, so it has a recognizability, you know. And also, it's like not only are you being sarcastic, but you're also like referencing a pop culture thing at the same time. So it also kind of indicates your kind of uh, mm-hmm. withedness, you know. So, yeah, I think that's a great one, except for it's just so just such a pain to do, especially on the iPhone where you, it's a little bit of a uh, annoyance to alter your letters. Um, what they need to do is that, and maybe they will eventually, is like make a separate like caps lock, like the semi caps lock, you know, mm-hmm. or a sarcastic font. <laughs> what would that look like? 
Um, probably like italics, but like goofier. Um, <laughs> so Comic another... Sans, we can make Comic Sans the yes, Comic <laughs> Sans, but italicized. <laughs> comic Sans with uh, uh, papyrus for the. Uh, I've also seen uh, the backslash s, mm-hmm. which is a little bit over-explanatory to me. Yeah, um, sure. I mean, that's kind of one of the problems with. Uh, making an indicator for sarcasm is in speaking kind of part of what makes it a joke is that you're not explaining the joke. You know, it's, mm-hmm. There's very few jokes that hold up to like 100% signposting that it's a joke because I think part of the laugh response is this realization that you've heard a joke, you know, that yeah. something was a joke. It's like this, this shift from serious to joke in your mind, you know, and yeah, so that is kind of a problem, I think, with the slash S, you're right. So my favorite uh, uh, that I have recently become kind of fond of is a little known, uh, a little used, rather, um, uh, a punctuation called the tilde. Um, I find that if I can, like, put a tilde before the uh, sarcastic bit and then after the sarcastic bit... It sort of emphasizes what I'm saying in a in an ironic way. So uh, let me think of an example. I would, uh, if I were to say that um, I was not a fan of this bar of chocolate that I that I purchased, I would uh, say uh, this bar of chocolate was Tilda, so delicious, Tilda. It's good, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I think I haven't heard of that one, but I think it invokes the same sense that the SpongeBob thing does. You know, uppercase, lowercase. Do you do you still get that same yeah. up down pattern that shows? Uh, the tilde sorry. does provide that, and I think that's why I'm drawn to it. Hmm. It's the curviest of the punctuations. I'd like to bring up just like last time with uh, acronyms. We saw there are many acronyms that kind of begin to fade into the language and you kind of forget their acronyms or you sometimes don't even know. I mean, of course, Mm -hmm. most of these things, it's impossible to totally not know their sarcasm, but for me at least, they're so uh, fundamental that I don't think of them as sarcasm until it's pointed out. You know, one is like, yeah, right. Right? Yeah. It's, we, we forget at this, or I forget at this point even that it's a positive. It just sounds like a negative to me now. Um, big deal is another one, right? Even though that is an ostensibly very positive thing to say, like if you're saying that something's a big deal, if you're being sincere, truly, but the problem is nobody ever says it sincerely. Yeah, no, yeah that's a that's a pretty fascinating thing itself, actually. This idea that, like sarcasm robs from sincere communication because if something becomes so essentially sarcastic, then it becomes impossible to say it sincerely. And actually, I think I've had those experiences before too, where I tried to give someone a sincere compliment or sincere input, and they they initially assume I'm being sarcastic. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last one I, I saw was like, that's just great, you know, when something bad happens. You know? Yeah, um, 50-50, I would say. I, I've heard people say that's so great when they're like talking about something sincerely, but... You're right. It is something that very, very frequently it could like that's um, something that very, very frequently is only uttered sarcastically. 
So Hannah, do you think we should just keep talking about sarcasm for like, what were you thinking, like another five, six hours, just totally waste these people's time, <laughs> never get to the uh, Eurovision thing, which is what they all listen oh, for. Oh yeah, anyway. Eurovision is everybody's favorite part of the podcast. Yeah, we should definitely like avoid that for as long as possible. And especially because today's song is so good. <laughs> the trouble is like there, there's this i guess there must be two basic techniques because there's the mm-hmm. squidward voice which has no intonation at all right there's no inflection there absolute uh, deadpan <laughs> but but i keep using this uh blue from foster's home voice that <laughs> has been documented in that episode not to work yeah <laughs> Anyways, Hannah, what, what song did we do this week? So this week we tackled the UK's entry into to, to, uh, 2021 Eurovision. Uh, Embers by... I wrote it down. His name is James Newman. Very forgettable name. I, I think that's the main issue with this. I think uh, all of the... I was... You know, it's so funny. I wanted to do like... Uh, I wanted to go through all of the writers and say, this is, because they're all like the most British names. <laughs> and just like guess where in Britain they're from. Uh-huh. Connor Blake. <laughs> Danny Shaw. Where would Tom Hollings be from? Yeah, they, they all Samuel definitely Brennan. sound like uh, names that a screenwriter would pick for some like uh, secondary character in a, in a Well, drama. I was. Exactly, I was going to do that, but there's no information about them <laughs> anywhere. So, guys, put your information on the internet so that p- different podcasts can involve, like, trivia about your origins and locations. Mm-hmm. It would really help me out specifically. <laughs> yeah, just please, just make yourselves more trackable. If you could just, like, <laughs> <laughs> share us on your GPS, you know. So this song, this song was really good, right? It did really well. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> uh, this is actually, it's not the first time it's happened in Eurovision history, which is very surprising to me. Uh, but this actually, Ember's got zero points. Which... I didn't even know that was possible. And maybe, maybe <laughs> like, you know, golf is really popular in England, so maybe they thought they were playing by golf rules. <laughs> And they were like, zero, all right. <laughs> Honestly, what the heck did they expect it? Uh, after your, after Brexit, uh, um, it's, uh, I'm amazed that Brexit, that uh, Eurovision is still letting Great Britain compete. Well, I mean, they let Australia compete, which is a thousand times crazier. So they have to, <laughs> they have to let Britain compete. And not only compete, they are still, Great Britain is still in what's called the, um, the Big Five in like Eurovision. A, do you think it's like a Star Wars, like, we'll, we'll uh, let you be on the council but not grant you the title of master type of thing? <laughs> They're like, we'll let you sing, but we won't grant you points. <laughs> <laughs> so the Big Five, that would make a lot of sense, honestly. The big five are um, uh, the five countries that auto-qualify every year because they're the five countries that uh, donate the most donate the most money to uh, the European um, uh, broadcasting. Oh, oh, okay, sure. 
Yeah, you know, the more I hear about this system, the less I like it. I mean, first we learned they have an electoral college style voting yeah. system. Now we hear like it's also based on how much money, how rich you are. Uh huh. It's just terrible. What are the other countries? Do you know? Uh, France, Germany, Italy, the UK, and Spain. Ah, so no surprises there. Basically, the the mm-hmm. thing, the the all the countries we think of as the main characters of Europe. <laughs> Pretty much, uh, oh my gosh, there's a, a, an anime or and a manga called Hitalia, um, which is all of the, you know, main countries, France, Germany, Italy, UK, Spain, and, you know, of course, uh, all of the other countries. That's <laughs> <laughs> all just personified as people. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's the thing where they're the little, like, balls. You oh no! Memes? Yeah, yeah, yeah! I have seen those. I wasn't sure if that maybe it was an anime. Who knows? Like, who am I to say what qualifies as an anime? <laughs> I'm certainly not uh, 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 that qualified. But these big five, uh, because they pay so much into the European Broadcasting League, uh, they get they basically auto qualify for um, the uh, Eurovision every year. I would think that probably gives them the opposite of an edge and sometimes at least because mm-hmm. you know it's like it's kind of it doesn't count so much for them so it seems like it would mo- make people less likely to vote for them but i guess people probably aren't thinking too hard about that whenever they decide who to vote for well this is the first time that italy has come back to eurovision since i believe uh 2011 um so italy it is uh, i mean so it's also the first time uh well, one of the big five has won the title of Eurovision champion. Ah, see, so it's interesting. So maybe Germany it's true. did. I mean, maybe they're uh, at sort of a disadvantage because you know they're they're not seen as the underdogs or something. You know. Well, uh, we have discussed that a lot of times. The voting is very political, which is a lot of. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's even referenced in that song in the song. That uh, movie Eurovision with Will Ferrell and um, what's her name? I didn't Rachel see it yet. Wilson? Have you seen it? Is it good? Oh my god, it's uh, very funny, uh, except when it goes a little bit too far. I think. Uh, I think honestly, I think Will Ferrell has kind of lost his uh, fastball a little bit. He's not as funny as he used to be, and so I, I was kind of hesitant to watch it. But I have some friends who said it was really good. It was funny, and one of the jokes they have is uh, when the Russian. A uh, guy is leading the Icelandic entrance uh, through a party and pointing out different entrants uh, for the uh, uh, contest and says, uh, that's UK, very, very good, but of course they're, he's British, so zero points. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> Proved to be true. Wow, amazing. <laughs> what, do you think, what do you think about this song? Do you think it's a good song, a bad song? No, I don't. I think it's, I think it's a, a very generic kind of electronica um, boppy song. Um, but I think James you're describing Newman. basically every song in Eurovision, you know? I am like, describing basically every song in Eurovision. You are absolutely right. And I think think to me it doesn't seem to be any worse than any other eurovision song so i was kind of surprised oh actually i will say it seems to be better than a lot of them so i was surprised by the zero oh yeah yeah you you turned off hendrick yeah yeah not good at all not (laughs) at all and then tick's not really good at all either you know no no this one 
true, it's not very unique, but I did find that hook where he's, I don't know, it seems like he's like riding a scale in one direction or the other. Again, Out of the 100%. Universe, you and I gonna light up the room. Not that far. There's, it's no. like the, maybe it's the bridge, whatever comes right before the chorus starts. Um, oh. I would also say, yeah, it definitely, when you're hearing it, more more maybe it's what people felt when they heard good for you it really it's like it drives you crazy you're like this i've heard this song this is some mm-hmm. other song the definitely there's something about the uh note progression that it sounds like he's ripping off something but i have no idea what it was yeah probably uh and it's might be that he tried to retroactively add in more meaning than uh <laughs> he originally had uh, later, after the um, after you know the contest, he said that uh, the song "Embers" is about partying after the coronavirus pandemic cools Oof. down. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Zero is a, a good choice of points there. Let's, let's uh, kind of uh, nip that in the bud. <laughs> Uh, so the entire thing allegedly, uh, uh, and uh, allegedly meaning he ascribed it after the fact, which is always suspect with metaphors. I think it was just written, and then he was like, "Oh, it could also mean this. That would mean I was I'm pretty smart, huh?" <laughs> so <laughs> I, I would um, like it if like uh, Olivia Rodrigo came out and like said that like he she was like uh, criticizing her ex for like going out and socializing. <laughs> this time of the pandemic yeah. oh, good for you yeah. going out partying with your friends yeah you're Great happy idea. and healthy not me I'm stuck inside doing the socially responsible exactly. thing and wearing a mask yeah, of course we're, we're looking at the British uh, band this year yes. so this uh, English speaking country uh, so mm-hmm. it's a great opportunity to look at the English language a little bit deeper or in a way that mm-hmm. we wouldn't necessarily look at normally and I wanted to take a look at kind of this like chimeric nature of the English language where we have as uh, root in Anglo-Saxon uh, language from the, this would be like the Germanic side. And then mm-hmm. we have a French influence as well. And they're, they're about equal, I would say. And the French, of course, is where we pull in all of our Latin uh, word roots and words there. So uh, I, I pulled up a list of words where we have you know, two forms, two words for this particular thing. Um, so I wanna, I'll give you the one that for me seems to be more common and yeah. you see if you can tell me the other one, right? Yes, yes. And a lot of these you'll find the Anglo-Saxon is kind of the more common one. Uh, so thoughtful in Anglo-Saxon. Oh, uh, thoughtful in Anglo-Saxon would be... Um... <clears throat> And of course, I should mention, this is not the Anglo-Saxon word, obviously. This is our modern word that has some root there. So, <laughs> so in Latin, I think what I would say would be like, um, what's that thing? Um, pensive. Yeah, pensive. Exactly right. Very <laughs> impressive. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, you still see in uh, the Latin languages something like uh Piento or Piantar or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Uh, kingly. Ooh, in uh, Anglo-Saxon, 
Uh, royal in, royal, of in Latin, yeah. Very good. Almighty in Anglo-Saxon. Ooh, uh, would be powerful in Latin? Uh, more or less. Omnipotent. Ah. Omnipotent would be our kind of Latin. Potent, right? yeah. Uh, brotherly. Uh, fraternal. Fraternal, motherly. Maternal. Maternal, fatherly. Paternal. Sisterly. Sororal. Yeah, not, not a word we use much. I think because it's kind of hard to say. We don't like to make a bunch of R and L sounds together. <laughs> That's why no one ever says rural. They always just say they're from the country. Rural sorority. Rarararar. Lardy darty. Beseech. Beseech in Anglo-Saxon. Beg in Latin? Inquire. Inquire. Beg's a good uh, one, too, but I don't know which uh, I think that's more English. Uh, Let's see. Let me do just a few more here. Ghost in Anglo-Saxon. Ooh. Yeah, that would be Germanic. Um, uh, Spirit? Yeah, spirit or phantom, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, belief in Anglo-Saxon. Faith in life. Faith, wow, amazing. Uh, and let me give you one or two more just to wrap yes. up. Yes. Uh, so answer in Anglo-Saxon. In uh, Latin would be... Shoot, give it to me. Like hunt or... I'm sorry, like reply or respond. <laughs> okay. I was trying to look ahead to the next one. Right. <laughs> I give you one from the other direction. So in yeah. Latin, rude. What would the uh, old English-ish uh, passed down version of rude be? Uh, the old English would be uh, ba ba ba. Um, oh shoot! Uh, is that? Oh man, uncouth. Whoa! Amazing! It is uncouth. <laughs> really? Wow, All right. Finally, in the uh, Latin. Deride, French deride, pardon. Ooh, uh, excuse. Excuse, probably also Latin, to be honest. Forgive is the uh, English, uh, Anglo-Saxon. Okay, so uh, we're getting really long here. So how do we want to wrap up this weekend? I want to uh, wrap up by uh, giving you a biblical example of situational irony. Um, it's from the Bible, and the Lord... Uh, uh, told Mark come forth and receive eternal life but Mark came fifth and received a toaster (laughs) (laughs) got him roasted boom (laughs) (laughs) all right guys this has been pop etymology I hope that was both interesting and funny and helpful and I hope that you learned something. But actually, I'm being sarcastic right now. I don't mean any of it. <laughs> I hope you got absolutely nothing and we got all of your time. <laughs> uh, if you want to give us a little bit more of your time, please send us an email at popetymology at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on the web at popetymology.com and at popetymology on Twitter. Uh Review and rate us if you feel so inclined. Uh, And please just reach out to us. Let us know um, some more information about the topics we've already covered. We'd love to share anything you have to say as long as it's 
cool and interesting and hopefully <laughs> correct, at least as correct as we typically are. It's a pretty low bar there. Uh, or if you have any questions or songs you want to hear about, uh, let us know. Thank you.